everyone, and thank you for joining us again on the PCICS podcast, the official podcast of the Pediatric Cardiac Intensive Care Society. And before we start, please don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, and please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Please visit our website at PCICS.org where you can find more information about how to become a member and to enjoy the updated information on the educational resources, meetings, job listings, and much more. My name is Mary Taylor. I'm the Chair of Pediatrics at Children's of Mississippi, and I'm also a member of the PCICS Connections Committee, and today I have the opportunity to interview Humaira Ahmed who is from Boston, Massachusetts, and she presented her work at the PCICS meeting in Miami in December. And she received the best abstract for a trainee. Um, The title of her abstract was Development of a Risk Score for Interstage Death or Transplant After Stage 1 Palliation for Single Ventricle Heart Disease. So welcome to our podcast. Thank you. So just to give us an overview of what prompted you to do this project? Sure. So I've been really interested in patients with single ventricle congenital heart disease for a number of reasons. One, they have very, very interesting physiology, but I'm also interested by the fact that they're so challenging to take care of within mm-hmm. the hospital and we invest so, so many resources in getting them extubated early and getting them to a spot where they can go home. And I thought it was very, very troubling that oftentimes these babies looked fine when they went home and then would come back either in extremis or having had a sudden event at home. And when we've reviewed some of the uh, data in the NPCQIC database, we found that oftentimes these patients don't have any warning signs when they're having, um, uh, when they're showing signs of extremis. They'll either have an event while they're sleeping or feeding. And And I found that very troubling as a clinician. I wanted to sort of find a way that we could use quantitative, objective Mm -hmm. data to sort of help us guide how much to worry about these patients, Mm -hmm. when to bring them in on the earlier side. Exactly. This is one of our big challenges. These hypoplasts is kind of the last frontier to get this just right and try to figure out how we can minimize the interstage mortality. Um, So you used the NPCQIC database, and that included 60 centers, and as I understand it, there were 2,196 patients from those 60 centers. Your cohort included about 75% of those, is that correct? That's correct. So we did a sort of two-step process, so our learning cohort um, was 75% of the patient population, somewhere around 1,600 patients, Mm -hmm. and we used that uh, to, to study this population to derive uh, a risk score, and then in the remaining 25% of the cohort, we validated our results. Okay, and as I mentioned, like 9% of the patients had either interstage mortality or requirement for transplant. Is that correct? So it was a comp- it was a composite variable of 9%. 7% of that was mortality. 2% was transplant. Mm-hmm. And so you did a multivariate model to find some key features that might be predictors. And yes. What did you find? So uh, we came up with the acronym NEONATE to help people remember. So the N is for Norwood type. So it seemed like the RV to PA conduit was protective in comparison to a BT Mm -hmm. shunt or a hybrid. The E is for needing post-operative ECMO. The O is for being discharged on opiates. Uh, The N is for not being discharged on digoxin. The A is for arch obstruction on the pre-discharge echo. The T is having moderate to severe tricuspid regurgitation on the pre-discharge echo. 
And the final E is extra oxygen or having a supplemental oxygen requirement in addition to having moderate to severe TR on the pre-discharge echo. And the combined risk of moderate to severe TR and the need for supplemental oxygen, that bore out to be the most predictive of poor outcomes. Is that correct? That's correct. So when we did a weighted risk point assignment based on the results of the multivariable model, that had the greatest weight with 28 points. Mm -hmm. And in addition, when we uh, performed a classification and regression tree analysis or a CART analysis, that was sort of the identified as the highest risk mm-hmm. group, who and, and that group had an event rate of somewhere around 56%, so quite high. So do you all commonly, at your institution, do you commonly send people home with when they have these, you know, a need for oxygen and moderate to severe TR? We have in the past. One thing we definitely don't do at our center is send children home on opiates. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some thought that uh, they're sort of sleep-wake centers are poorly developed, and that may contribute to their sudden arrest. We have sent patients home with moderate to severe tricuspid regurgitation Mm -hmm. in the past. We usually keep a very close eye on them, but I think Mm -hmm. we may be changing Mm -hmm. that based on these results. Yeah, I was going to ask, has this changed your practice at all since you've started looking into this? It's changed my personal practice, but Mm -hmm. um, we'll sort of see how it bears out Mm -hmm. with the rest of the group. Yeah, I think everyone in the country is really struggles with this patient population, and I think your score might be helpful to predict those types of things. Have you been to a PCICS meeting in the past? I have. This is my second time coming. I came as a first-year fellow two years mm-hmm. ago as well. Mm-hmm. And um, what do you think the biggest value that you've gotten out of these meetings? Well, I, I love that they're focused in on things that I find very interesting, so care of critically ill children. Um, I also like the collegiate nature of it, so Mm -hmm. lots of representation from nursing as well as physicians um, and a nice avenue for trainees to be involved as well and network. So I think it's a really nice smaller meeting with Mm -hmm. the potential to meet people who are really impactful in the field. Yeah, I think, you know, we'd like to um, hear more from trainees and we, we try to encourage trainees to participate and to submit their abstracts. I think, you know, yours is a great example of being awarded an award for your abstract. Did you learn anything in particular this year at this meeting? So it was actually just at the the VAD sort Mm -hmm. of break-off session, which I thought was really fascinating because I think part of the future too, especially given the limitations in transplanting young children with the wait times, is learning to be creative with how to use VADs to get them to transplant mm-hmm. or to get them to the Glen if needed. There were some really interesting strategies on how to effectively cannulate people. Back to your abstract. So the target risk factors so of this neonate criteria, um, have you all, is your plan to go back and look and see if there's modifications of these or how, if you modify these risk or intervene on arch obstruction, for example, or intervene on the tricuspid regurgitation to revisit um, prospectively look at a population? or Right. We would love to do that. I think some of the challenging factors about all of that mm-hmm. is just having sufficient um, numbers of patients, mm-hmm. especially given that the incidence of event rates is relatively low. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it would be great, especially since there's been a lot of data surrounding Tijoxin, to do a mm-hmm. prospective trial. But I think that gets a little bit challenging in terms of, you know, is 
in terms of deciding whether there's true equipoise and then mm-hmm. whether families would be willing to not have their child on Jackson if there's been some data right. showing that it's protective. So mm-hmm. I think it would be would be ideal to do something prospective. We'll just have to figure out a collaborative kind of multi-center mm-hmm. approach to doing that. Do you have any sense of the percentage of your patients with Norwood who stay in the hospital until the Glen? That's a good question. I don't I don't know the actual percentage point. I can I guess, guess it's a fair. Uh, yeah. Some centers, you know, do that across the board. They just decide they're going to keep all patients in the hospital until right. they get the gland because they may have a patient population that's difficult to access. But I think with their interstage monitoring programs, we've gotten more sophisticated about keeping up with patients. I think so. Hopefully. Right. Yeah. And and I know that our center in particular, we don't place any limitations on patients in the single ventra in the interstage period. Mm-hmm. So we allow them to go back to their home institutions. Mm-hmm. We don't make them live within a certain Mm-hmm. distance from our center and I think you're right that home monitoring and sort of close communication with mm-hmm. uh, local cardiologists has allowed us to do that mm-hmm. well this will certainly you know help us be able to at least look more closely at those features and see if there's you know certainly children with the moderate TR the need for oxygen um, home oxygen they may be a, a cohort that might be worth keeping in the hospital I think so I think so or at least um, at least maybe keeping very, very close to the hospital. Well, thank you so much, Humera, for speaking with me today. And we enjoyed having you on our podcast. And to all our listeners, thank you for listening to the PCICS podcast. Don't forget to look for other episodes on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Or subscribe to get all the latest episodes as they are released. Once again, find out more on our website, PCICS.org.